All right, everyone, welcome to the Ryan and Nate Business Podcast, where we like to hear people's stories. And today we have people that don't need introductions because they're owners of Heavy Seas. Huey here has started Heavy Seas in 1995. Yeah, basically. Yeah. yeah. And we have his daughter, Caroline. Hello. And we are really excited just to hear their story, try some beer, and see what's next for Huey. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm excited because... I don't want to call myself a fanboy of Heavy Seas, but uh-huh. like I was leaving to come here this morning. I opened up my refrigerator, and there's a six-pack with four of them missing, by uh-huh. the way. Which is a good du- thing. Double <laughs> Thank you very much. In my refrigerator. Okay. I love your beer. I come here pretty regularly with my wife on date nights because we live right around the corner. Right. We'll come here and finish up a date here with a, with a beer. We've had events in your event room for okay. business in the past. Well, it's all much nicer so, now than it used so. to be. <laughs> yeah. I love it. The new tap room looks amazing. So this is the first time we've been doing this podcast for a few months and this is the first time we've done it on location cool and so this is exciting too so actually being in the space where you guys do yeah. business well, yeah, welcome. a lot more fun yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so if we haven't said it already yeah we have father and daughter with us so right. that's awesome right. this is yep. our i think our first dad daughter duo, duo. interview yeah so wow. yep. what a treat yeah, this would be good so you started clipper city in 1995 yep but you got the laws changed to allow us to have craft brews in Maryland? Not to necessarily have craft brews. I got okay. the original brew pubs passed. Got it. So we got that legislation passed to legalize brew pubs for the state of Maryland in 1987. Okay. In August of 89, my family's bar restaurant in Federal Hill called Sissons, oddly enough, became the first brew pub in the state of Maryland. The first actual craft brewery in the state of Maryland, which predated Sissons only by a little bit, was the Oxford Brewing Company, which was started by two English guys. Interestingly enough, many years later, I ended up acquiring the Oxford Brewing Company. Okay. Uh, so housed here in my business is both the first brew pub and the first craft brewery in the state of Maryland, which is why we basically lay claim to the fact that craft beer in Maryland started here. Here. That's Not necessarily here physically, but here yeah, organizationally. Yeah. Wow. So, so, yeah, so we got the legislation passed in 89. I spent another five years at the family bar restaurant and then left to start this company. And we brewed our first batch of beer on December 8th, 1995. Wow. Very cool. So, so as we've been preparing for this, we keep saying, like, you, you were doing this before it was cool. Yeah. yeah. You're doing a lot of things before it was cool. Well, uh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much. But, I mean, my perception is not a lot of people were thinking about craft brews. And well, there was like this standard, you know, beer that everyone had. And I mean, by the time we got Clipper City open and up and running, craft beer was sort of in its first wave of, wow, it's everywhere. Mm. Uh, it, of course, wasn't, but there was a lot of buzz. When we started brewing at Sissons in, in 89, that was fairly radical. People were really kind of scratching their head and going, what the hell is he doing now? <laughs> um, but, I mean, we were successful with it. In, in some respects, it was easier then than it is now for the simple reason that in the early days of craft beer, what you needed to do was not be Anheuser-Busch or Molson or Coors. So that was your defining market position. Right. We're not them. Them days is gone. 
I think when I started brewing at Sissons, there were under 300 operating breweries in the United States. I think uh, it's like 7,000 now. Uh, there's not closer quite that many. to no, there's closer to 10. Okay. Uh, so it's growing. Yeah. So growing every when day. We, when we started yeah. brewing here in 95, 96, I think there were 450, 500 operating breweries, and there's now close to 10,000. Wow. So, you know, not being AB or Molson Coors is no longer a valid position. Right. right. So, so you have to create another way to have an identity or, or to differentiate yourself in the market. Well, you got those cannons back there. We do have those cannons back there. <laughs> yeah. You need to come to the tap room and see the cannons. They're way cool. Yeah. <laughs> I think they are really cool. Like legit cannons. That's just <laughs> yeah. amazing. Yes, right, right. Yeah. They don't really work. So. Do, yeah, do you yeah. have a permit? <laughs> no, for these things? No. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't say the P word. Don't say the P word. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> well, we're going to put a sign on and say, please do not operate. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Please okay. don't. Yeah. Mike comes in here with gunpowder. Right, I'm like, right. what are we doing? Yeah, that could be very messy. Yeah. So. But yeah, what started out was like, you know, you're you're making craft brew, seeing the laws get changed, mm -hmm. and then, as I say, it became cool, and then now a lot of these craft breweries are being bought up, and they're no longer independent. Right. And it's just interesting. Yeah. I, I find it very interesting. Asked, well, what wasn't cool is now cool. Yeah, I asked you earlier, the legislation part of getting the law changed. Uh, right. Can you tell me that story again? Sure. I mean, basically, so I showed up to run this little bar that my father had opened in at the time, South Baltimore, now Federal Hill, on Cross Street. That was called Sissons, our last name. Yeah. I didn't know anything about business. My only experience of the bar business was from the bar stool side. Okay. So, not so, the podcast. Fun too. The yeah. Well, it's fun so, too. So, so meanwhile, so I drive up from graduate school. I'm two days finished graduate school. My father's arranged for me. He says he talked me into coming to work at the bar instead of I was an actor director type. And you know, don't, don't go to New it. York. Come here, work for a year or two, and then go to New York. And at, since at that point in my life the romance of poverty had worn thin, mm -hmm. uh, I decided let me go make a few bucks before I go to New York. So I show up. I walk into the bar. There's my father. He says, how you doing? I say, great. He says, okay. He reaches into his back pocket, threw me the keys to the front door, and as I caught them, he went, okay, don't fuck up, and walked out the door. <laughs> so, so, so now I'm in the bar business. Yeah. There are nine bars on my block, and they're oh, all wow. just bars, and they all have the same booze and the same beer, and none of them are really serving food, so... I didn't know much about business, but I knew we needed to do something to make us different from right. the other nine bars on the block. So I turned Sissons into a beer joint in, say, 81, 82, mm -hmm. uh, focusing at that time on, because that was the only thing that was available, was imported beers. And, you know, we got up to about 130 different kinds of imported beers. And in order to promote that, I started doing educational beer tastings, and in order to promote that, I started home brewing, so I actually knew what the hell I was talking about, and that was a process. So yeah. eventually, I want to say in 84 or thereabouts, my father and I kind of said, geez, what would happen if we could actually make beer make here, beer, yeah. which you know, at the time was a pretty radical concept. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, there were maybe four brew pubs in the entire country at wow. the time that we decided wow. that we wanted to do this. Did it you was, go and visit any of them, or you just... Um, I actually went to a bunch of them in England and Scotland. Yeah, uh, somebody had they to were do doing it. this. Yeah, so someone sounds had, like a rough trip. <laughs> so, oh, um, but there weren't that many to go to, and it wasn't legal in 40 of the 50 states. There was no template to follow. We had to do a lot of research. I mean, you know, these days, somebody wants to build a brewery, you know, the conversation runs something like this. Hello? Yes? Uh-huh. 
I'd like to buy a brewery, please. Uh-huh. Uh, yes, next week will be fine. Thank you. Click. Um, right. Well, that didn't exist. So we had to figure all of this stuff out. And that took time. And as I said, a couple of trips to England and Scotland. So by 1987, we'd sort of figured that out. Now we had to, to combat the legal hurdle. We went to um, Senator George Della, who was the guy who represented the area where our, where our bar restaurant was, presented him with the idea. He thought it was a pretty cool idea. So he went to work. George taught me a whole lot about how to work the legislative system. So the first thing that he did is he made the first Maryland brew pub bill only a Baltimore City bill. And that basically took all the people who would have objections from anywhere outside of Baltimore City. They would then say, okay, well, the hell with it. It's a Baltimore City bill. We don't have to yeah, weigh in on it. Second yeah. thing that he did was he went and had conversations with all of the groups that could have a problem with this, the restaurant people, the retailer associations, et cetera. And, you know, I mean, he'd been working with these people for years. So he kind of got them to say, yeah, go ahead, George. So that by the time the bill got introduced in the legislature in 87, you know, I didn't know this, but it was, all, it was pretty much a done deal. Right. I was surprised. I thought the bill would fail at the first go-round. It passed. So, you know, we had the OF moment. Let's get this done before somebody else beats us to it. So we got it done, and in August of 1989, we brewed the first batch of beer at the restaurant. That was the beginning of this whole slippery slope. What was the kind? <laughs> what, what kind of beer did you brew first? I think the home? first beer that I made was similar to a, a pale ale. It was an amber ale. God, what was the name of that one? Sold a ton of it. Anyway, yeah, that was probably the, the first style. Were IPAs even a thing back then? IPAs were sort of more of a. Gee, uh, have you heard of one of these? So I mean, we okay. I did an early IPA there called Gungadin IPA. They have to explain that now because nobody remembers that Rudyard Kipling wrote a poem about India called Gungadin. Oh yeah. Uh, that was actually a movie in the made in the fifties or whatever, yeah. but. But when you're my age and somebody says Gunga Din, you know exactly what they're talking about. <laughs> I knew that. Uh, my favorite poem is If. Rudyard if, Kipling. okay. Yeah, Rudyard yeah, Kipling. Yeah. Well, there's a short story he wrote called Gunga Din, which okay. is pretty interesting. But um, anyway, so, yeah, I mean, and we sort of did mostly English-style ales. It was a small system. I had a blast doing that because I did, for the first five years we were brewing beer there, I brewed almost all of them for the first four. And... And, you know, that was fun. I mean, I could wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning with an idea, and by 8 o'clock that morning, I'm doing it. Yeah. So, I tried, that was way cool. <laughs> I tried brewing twice, and it, it's a lot of work. It is a lot of work. Just leave that to me, guys. Okay. Yeah, yeah, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, exactly, because I figured it isn't even that much cheaper to do it myself. No. And it's so much it's it's so a much lot. Work, it's a lot of better, damn work. So. Well, we practice more often. but the uh, Yeah, maybe a little bit more. So I, I mentioned that I did homebrewing. I was not a very good homebrewer. I never had the patience for homebrewing, one. And two, you know, one of the great frustrations of homebrewing, unless you get way into it and you spend a lot of money, is that you're, you're making beer on stuff that was never intended to make beer. So you're always trying to re-engineer the stock pot. So I, I didn't have a whole lot of fun with that. But when... I did the first batch of beer on the equipment at Sisson's, so the first time I'm in my life playing with stuff that's supposed to make beer. That was kind of, of an epiphany. And the other thing that was funny was the, the first day that I made the first batch of beer there, that's called the commissioning day when you do the first batch. That's a long day. Yeah. I started brewing probably at 7.30 that morning, and I think I got home at 11 o'clock that night. Oh, and wow. as I'm coming into my house, 
on the front porch of my house was a large cardboard box. And in that box was every piece of homebrewing equipment I owned, along with a note from my wife that said, congratulations, honey. I am so proud of you. By the way, you will never make beer in my kitchen again. <laughs> Love, Janet. So yes. <laughs> it, It's got a smell. Yeah. It does. It's, it's absolutely. Yeah. Yes. We like to think of it as an aroma. Yeah. Yeah. But, <laughs> yes. Well, one of my favorite memories, so I, I told you before we started recording, my, my family has an automotive repair sh business, and uh -huh. the warehouse for our tires were right around the corner, and I could always tell what part of the process you were in by the smell when I okay. drive up to pick up tires. Because <laughs> yeah. it just goes through the name, 21227, it just kind of goes yeah, through yeah, the yeah, yeah. Wafts. The yeah. aroma. <laughs> the aroma. See, I almost don't even notice it anymore. They're, they're working. Yeah. They're yeah. over there working. I'm, I'm like the, you know, the guy that's got the cow farm, you know, manure. What? Well, uh, yeah, you don't smell. Nose blind? Is that what they call it? Nose blind. I, 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 yeah, I've just been around it for so long. I find that it's extremely interesting that you started that way in, in the restaurant. How did you know how much to brew? Did you're like, hey, I'm doing, my equipment makes this much, or did you? It was a seven-barrel system. That, well, see, but we already had established ourselves as a beer destination. So there was already a willing uh, clientele that was clearly interested in beer. So, in fact, in many respects, when I left there to start here, I was seeing the world through rose-colored lenses because I thought, you know, everybody loves my beer. Well, then you get here, and all of a sudden, you're not just dealing with that clientele that you've developed over 20 years. Now it's oh, like, wow. oh, wow, I got people that have no idea who the hell we are, and I'm trying uh. to talk them into buying a six-pack of my beer. So it's, uh. it, yeah, I mean, the world's, it's a, it's a challenge. You can't assume anything is going to happen. You yeah. have to go out and earn it. Well, so. there's, a, there's a nugget right there, man. Yeah, that was profound. <laughs> <laughs> this is why we do these podcasts, because we just love talking to all kinds of different businesses. Yeah. Right. The shadow mission is to like get little nuggets of business wisdom. Well, you one. know, the other thing that... that, so that did, you know, did you hear what he said? Yeah. That was mind-blowing. <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> See, the other thing that, that I frequently say about this business is I don't make my living because they bought the first beer. I make my living because they bought the second one. Yeah. That's really the key. Right. Because if they buy the second one, you have the, you have the opportunity, perhaps, hmm. uh, to have a relationship. I mean, whether it's just, you know, I like this product, so that's the relationship, or whether their connection is, oh, I'm from the Baltimore area, this is a Baltimore product, whether that's the relationship. Hmm. You don't make a relationship the first time you shake hands. Yeah, right. Yeah, it yep. takes some time. Yeah, and you have transactional versus relational customers, and that's the ones we want is the relational ones, the ones yeah. that constantly come back and want more. Right. And the marketing angle should be to be liked the most and thought of first, so that way when they want something, they come to you mm -hmm. because they thought mm -hmm. of you and they like you the most. Right. Yep. Were you always on the front end? Was I know it wasn't always called Heavy Seas with Clipper City. So I'm wondering if you were on the front end as far as, I don't know how you measured yourself, like with barrel production. Um, right. Were you, were you, did you feel like you were on this front end of Baltimore's beer in the beginning? Or um, was it, were you just doing your own thing and letting the chips fall where they may? I mean, in the beginning, you were just kind of doing your own thing. But I was certainly aware of the fact that we were breaking new ground. Hmm. Again, you know, business is about differentiation. Successful marketing is about differentiation. So by virtue of what we were doing, we were differentiating at the time. And as I said earlier, you know, as long as in the beginning when you were in the craft beer segment, you know, the major thing you had to do was not be bud. Right. And that's not a knock against Bud, but that was, you know, you were the, the guy on the outside looking in. Mm -hmm. So that's what you needed to do. And then I did a lot of brewing personally when I was at Sisson's, but 
when I started here, I knew, first off, that, that, that the challenges were going to be significantly different because we were going to package. At the brew pub, all the beer stays under your control the whole time. Over here, 99% of everything we do leaves our control. So that's a whole different challenge from a manufacturing process and quality control angle than it was at the brew pub, one. Two, if I was going to be the brewer, that was going to have to be 180,000% of my focus, and I would never be able to focus on the business. I knew that wasn't going to happen. So from the very beginning, I hired people to do the manufacturing and the production, and I stayed focused on the business and only the business. Mm. The fact that I had a brewing background was certainly helpful, uh, because when they would come to me with issues or questions or something like that, I knew what they were talking about. Mm -hmm. That role you just mentioned is not, when you said you had people do the brewing for you, it's huh? not like building a car. You gave over some artistic license to that brewer. Oh, had you? to. Yeah. Absolutely. Because they're creating. No, well, they are creating. Plus the fact that, you know, I mean, it's kind of like cooking. If they're not invested in it, how good is my quality going to be? Yeah. So. You um, get a taste of love in there. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's important. Yeah. So. That's good. All right. And the question that you had again, you're going to repeat? Yeah. yeah. Was uh, why did you change the name to Heavy Seas? Okay. So if you look at the growth curve of craft beer from the early 80s through about 95, it's a consistent jagged line going up and up okay. and up. And then you look at the line of craft beer from about 95 to about 99, 2000, and it's flat. Mm. So, so we opened from an environment where there was just growth on top of growth to the first time craft beer had gone flat, that's when we opened. <laughs> so what happened was all the great and grandiose plans that I had to do with my Clipper City brand, right. um, you couldn't sell beer much outside of about a 50-mile radius of here, and this was still Got a pretty it. macro beer market. So I had to make the Clipper City brand, I had to sort of tamp down on what we were trying to do there just to stay alive. Yeah. Um, and then the market finally began to harden again in 2000, 2001. Okay. Uh, and I wanted to now start doing some more adventurous products. But yeah. I sort of had come to the conclusion that the Clipper City brand had already kind of been mainstreamed. So I needed to create a second brand to put these bigger, ballsier beers in. Right. Um, so I created Heavy Seas as the segue from Clipper City. And that's where we put all these larger ABVs, more creative products into that. And that brand performed very well, much yeah. better than the Clipper City brand had. Right. So in 2010, we finally decided that we were going to put all the marble on the Heavy Seas brand. Okay, so and you co-branded for 10 years. I ago. had the Clipper City brand. I mentioned earlier we had <coughs> bought the Oxford Brewery, so we had mm -hmm. an Oxford brand, mm -hmm. which we were trying to figure out how does that fit in the portfolio. Uh, I mean, at one time we had Oxford, Clipper City, and Heavy Seas, and mm -hmm. then we finally said, no, let's just focus on Heavy Seas. And when to add to that, this was kind of during the time when I know we were starting to increase our distribution footprint. So we're uh -huh. currently in, we distribute our beer, I think, in around 18 states. Does that sound That's right? That's right. Yeah. So the farther out that we were yeah. going from Maryland, the less that you know, Clipper City meant, where in yeah. Baltimore, you know, it's kind of a relevant name with, you know, the Baltimore City Harbor, with the Clipper ships right. and everything. It made sense for Baltimore. The farther away from Baltimore our beer was going, 
it didn't resonate as well. Yeah. And beers like Loose Cannon and Winter Storm, which were part of that Heavy Seas brand, people loved. Yeah. Um, Loose Cannon is our flagship still to this day. So the Heavy Seas brand name was something that people were really like remembering and resonating with. So I think what 2000 and <sighs> Eight or 2010 is when we officially did the whole rebrand of everything's going to be under that was heavy seas. it was 2010 2010 right gotcha. yeah were you involved in the business at that point i was not Early. i was still in college okay i started here in 2012 okay so i was here from 2012 to 2019 and then i took a four-year break out of the industry and i just started back up here february 1st of this year oh cool so, very cool but i mean having a dad who you know, has a business in the beer business. Heavy Seas has been part of my life since yeah. I was five yeah. in some shape or fashion. But yeah, I wasn't right. here for the rebranding. Gotcha. Yeah, that's something else I've always thought was fun. Like from a branding standpoint, I just can't think of another industry that's more fun than beer. Like mm -hmm. beer just has a super fun it's like each beer has a personality as far as the way they present themselves. Mm -hmm. And it's just super it's irreverent at times. It's just it seems fun it's to a, be part of it. It's a fun industry. It's a fun business. It's a lot of work. Mm -hmm. I don't want to shock anybody here, but contrary to a lot of people's opinions, you're probably not going to get rich in the beer business. Oh, really? Uh, no. You can make a, a comfortable living. Hitting home runs is like anything else. It's, you know, it's a lot of work. Yeah. And you don't hit a lot of home runs. Singles are great. <laughs> okay. Hit a lot of singles. <laughs> right. So. What's in your brain right now? Are you thinking about specific brews that just thought were going to hit and they didn't hit? Oh, yeah. Um, there have been recipes? a lot of those. There have been a lot of those. There have been a lot of products that we produced that were nucking futs. They were great beer. Nobody bought them. Nobody bought so, them. So yeah. I mean, we, have a, we have a porter called Dark Anchor, which, has, which was selected by the United States Beer Tasting Championships, which is a pretty interesting regional and national competition as the top porter in the country. Nobody buys it. So mm -hmm. your art is in a bottle that will go bad. So I, it just occurred to me, it's like sometimes an artist is ahead of their time with like a film or a painting. And right. then you hear like, oh, wow, well, or that author wasn't appreciated in their time. But now right. we can appreciate them. But the beer's gone. Mm -hmm. Right, right. You could, you could misstep. Well, I, you know, like I learned a long time ago, you just can't take it personally. Mm. I mean, if they didn't like it, time we'll stop making it we'll make something else and then eventually you'll throw enough spaghetti against the wall and something's going to stick now some people are, are diehard marketing dweebs that want to spend you know shit tons of money on market research there is value in that but i also have seen many many examples where large corporations that spent bazillions of dollars on market research create a turkey and you know we're we're in 18 states but the, the heart of our business is going to be Maryland, D.C., Virginia, Delaware. Mm. Um, yep. So this is where we are, are likely to continue to, be, to remain relevant in a world of now almost 10,000 breweries. We live here. Mm -hmm. yeah. We're paying attention. If we can't, uh, and more and more incumbent on her because she's the, the younger generation, if we can't pick up the pulse of what's going on in our own backyard, then, then we're done. Yeah. So uh, yeah. yeah, research isn't going to help you. No. Um, before we get too far away from the rebranding, you know, you spent nine, ten years, multiple brands. Mm -hmm. Do you wish you would have done it earlier? 
Or do you think when you rebrand it and just put all the marbles in heavy seas was the right time? We probably could have done it a year or two earlier. I look at small business in general and the fact that we've always had sort of a, of a sailboat sailing image of all of our brands. And as somebody who used to do a lot of competitive sailing a long time ago, uh, yeah. there are no straight lines right. when you're sailing. It's all about oh, yeah. you, you, you tack over here and then you tweak, tweak, tweak. And, oh, some bitch, the wind just changed. Oh, well, <laughs> and you tack over here. And so I believe that the voyage of running a small business is exactly that. And yeah. hindsight is twenty twenty, but you don't have that when you're actually mm. steering the damn boat. Right. So I don't spend a whole lot of time beating myself up for mistakes that I've made. There's no up. Mm. You know, it's more a question of trying to look down the road. What's trying next? to stay positive, yeah. and you know, you take your lumps when you get them. And what's the thing they use in sports all the time? You're never as bad as your worst moment. You're never as good as your highest victory. Right. So yeah. just it is what it is. You know, when the world is beating a path to your door, don't believe the press because they're going to say wonderful things about you. And as soon as you start listening to that, you're going to step on your schwanz. Mm. <laughs> Very fun. Yep. Every storm runs out of rain was uh, one of my mentors told me, and yeah. that hits. That's, it's the truth. Yeah, very good. I just didn't want to get too far away from that because I was very, very curious. No. I'm going through this yeah. rebrand re and stories and everything in my business, and, man, is it a lot of work and a lot of everything. Yeah. But yeah. 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 It's Ryan working. Is, he's one of the best guys I know at connecting story to business. Uh -huh. And I think – we're talking about small business. I'm learning. We, I'm learning. We, I'm in the we process love, of it. We love small business, and one of the biggest things that I think works for small business is being able to create a story that connects to it. I, it's, it's one of the reasons why we do this podcast is to help people connect stories. You're completely right, and one of the things that we're excited about here, especially now that we've kind of finished this renovation, is that there's a lot of, I said decorative work, but we're going to be doing a lot more work here that's going to tell our story because... Mm. You know, the the history of, of what, as an organization, uh, we have done uh, in the craft beer business in Maryland, that's the one thing nobody can take away from us. Mm -hmm. Right. We need to get to the point where if somebody comes and visits our tap room, they're not leaving without going, wow, these some bitches have been, been doing yeah. this. Right. Uh, that's yeah. important. So and that's to do that here. Caroline's really excited. That's yeah. her job. Yeah, she's, I can see her lighting up. Because when we came here, she was showing us the new tap room, all the new stuff, and she, you were, like, lit yeah. up about it. I mean, the tap room looks great, but it's pretty bare bones. We don't have really anything on the walls yet. So I would like to hire a mural artist to paint some kind of timeline, more so in our game room, because we just have so many more walls over there, like a huge timeline that just kind of highlights key milestones that we've experienced throughout uh, our I can, I can see it as yeah, you're talking. That's yeah. great. And, it, you know, because we are heavy seas, our roots, I think, our graphics and everything, it's very sailor, nautical, piratey themed. So I'm kind of thinking like a map versus a, you know, not just like a straight timeline. Okay. Like a, so, a nautical chart. A nautical chart. As he, as he said, <laughs> there's no straight line, right? So right. it's kind of... Yeah, so it'll really kind of veer off with different, you know... Again, moments throughout our history of just like, what have we done? Um, we've gone through several expansions over the last 28 years, so we can hit on you know some of the, the things that we've done and the new equipment we've brought in. and Yeah, so I think it's going to be really exciting. Is Hugh going to be in every single no. iteration no. of no. it? No. 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 We're that, not going to have you with the pirate suit on? <laughs> 
Now, in fact, you know, one of the missions these days is to phase me out yes. as the face of the company. Yeah. Because, you know, I'm almost 70 years old now, so it's time. It's mm. time. He's not going to be around forever, unfortunately. But, I mean. <laughs> You'll be on a Delaware beach sipping on a loose cannon? Is Probably. that the? Okay. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. I think that's been a challenge that we face is because we are so established and we are one of, you know, Baltimore's, dare say, Maryland's oldest craft breweries. And there's so many newer breweries that are opening up all the time. I mean, we're perceived, I would say, as not as cool or hip. I mean, we're, we're the old guys, right, to a lot of people. I've had Loose Cannon already. I love Loose Cannon, but I haven't tried this. I haven't tried right. this new brewery's mm-hmm. beer yet. So the focus has, I think, shifted away from us in a lot of ways. And with him being sort of the hero of, you know, mm-hmm. the captain leading this ship, if we're mm-hmm. speaking a metaphor, but he's not going to be around. He is almost 70. I, as a daughter, would love for him to retire and, you know, enjoy traveling and writing books or whatever you've got <laughs> lined up Who the hell retirement. Are? I would totally read a Hugh book. That <laughs> awesome. But, yeah. I mean, the goal is that this brand still lives on. So without yeah. him being here to run things, like, how do we keep the Heavy Seas brand relevant? So that's really something that mm. I'm trying to narrow down, and, narrow down and, and get us to a place where... The perception of heavy seas is not so much, okay, yeah, I've had heavy seas before. They're great. I want people to recognize us as we're the OGs. Like, we, yeah, we are yeah. established, and we're here still yeah. for a reason. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's always bumping when I come in here, though. Everybody's yeah. always, there's always a lot of people here. Everybody's mm-hmm. having a lot of fun. Yeah, it's yeah. good. And it's great, too. I mean, COVID obviously was not kind to anyone. Yeah. Um, I think now, at least over the last several months, and now that the weather's getting warmer, too, you know, people are starting to get social again and things are kind of normalizing back to those pre-COVID times so it is great that we're getting more people to come here again which is which has been nice yeah I feel like in general life is just getting back to normal yeah <clears throat> I don't think we're there yet yeah just looking at at the world through my business and market lens uh-huh. the, the on-premise business the bars and the restaurants they're not back yet right uh, some of them are but you know, how many places do you know that used to be open seven days a week and they're only open five days a week now? Mm-hmm. And how many places do you know that used to be hopping at 11 and 12 on a Friday and they're dead by 10 o'clock at night now? Oh, yeah. Uh, I think some of that is not necessarily directly attributable to COVID, but there's definitely been a paradigm shift. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Some habits that were created yeah. that. So I don't also I'd add like the market right now. I mean, things, it's, it's so expensive. Like the market, inflation, yeah. I know our costs are. <laughs> oh, yeah, I get it. So. Become insane. I don't think we're at the new normal yet. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what it's going to look like. Yeah. Uh, but I just don't think we're there yet. Mm-hmm. I think it could be. The economy needs to figure itself out. Mm-hmm. The yep. knuckleheads in D.C. need to figure a few <laughs> things out. Uh, right. So, Did you know that liquor stores were going to be part of the essential workers that kept going during COVID? Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so... I was I like, mean, that look, was interesting. I, I, mean, okay. the, the, okay. I mean, I can see the, that. There are a lot of businesses that really took a massive hit in COVID. The bars and the restaurants were among them. But 35% of our business was sales to bars and restaurants. Mm-hmm. So... In January of 2000, we were shipping draft beer to about 2,000 bars and restaurants. In April of 2000, I shipped draft beer to six. So, Did you see it shift, though? Was there more of a demand for it in the stores? So the volume in the stores spiked hugely. But 
the margins are better on kegs than they are on packaged uh, beer. And okay. from a production efficiency standpoint, my bottling line runs 250 bottles a minute. My can line runs about 80 cans a minute. And the spike was all in cans. So it was the least efficient product that we produce with the highest overall costs. So it was a challenge, and the, and the spikes were big, but it wasn't enough to cover the loss of the draft beer. Mm. I'm not sure that we'll ever get back to the 35% of our revenues are draft. That's what I'm saying. I mean, we're, it's all moving basically in the right direction. The big spikes in, in package product has gone down back to more normal. Mm-hmm. The draft beer is slowly making its way up. The tap room is slowly you know, generating its own business. But it's, you know, we're not back to 2019 volumes yet. And hopefully we will be in the next year or two. It's part of the reason that we and, and many of our peers are also now diversifying our product lines. I mean, we, we now, in addition to our beer products, are making these canned cocktails. So we got a distiller's license now. and So we're now doing those, and we're looking at a couple of other different options to begin to diversify what we do because the world is the world has changed. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a different license, the distiller license? Yeah, it's a different license. Will we ever put out just a straight whiskey? Maybe. Maybe. Probably a rum. We've talked about that it. That makes sense with the right. theme. Internally. Yeah, right. I can, I can see Captain Jack Sparrow yeah. having his rum. Captain Jack Sparrow. <laughs> Well, Very fun. Th- that might be a good spot to take a little break. Yep, let's and take a break and try uh, some beer. Okay. And, uh, yep. Some cocktails. And then if we have time after that, we'd love to hear more about, like, what's next for you. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Like, cool. Fine. I, I'm, I'll be interested to know what. <laughs> yeah, me, <laughs> me too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 